this morning to you. We, we praise your name, and we do all this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. I am Tom, if you don't know me, one of the staff pastors, so glad to be with you this morning. And I don't know if you caught it in our worship time and in Tim's prayer, just talking about the world and how we respond to it. And this morning, we're going to dive in deep into 1 Thessalonians. And in fact, we're going to be taught a little bit more about how to respond in a biblical, godly, deep way in God's Word, working within us as we're inundated with things from the world. So just to illustrate this, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the Iowa-Penn State football game. Not going to mention the Purdue game, but we'll just go back to Iowa-Penn State. Widely reported, it was one of the loudest games ever in Kinnick Stadium, and I can attest to that. Uh, my son and I were there, my ears were ringing when I walked out of the stadium. But you know, during the game, even though we were saying, go defense, go Hawkeyes, we had a great time being together, we didn't really have any deep conversations during the game. I mean, other than, like I say, just yelling. And it's good to do things together, but it's not until... Being home together, talking on the phone, those are the times we have the deep conversations together. Now, similarly, we live in a world where every day we're bombarded by the noise that the world is throwing at us from every side, television, computer, little phone, people that are trying to push us in one direction or another, buy this, sell this, do this, go here. And it's hard to take a step back and say, God, all these things, all these people, all this social media coming at me, and I'm trying to respond to it, and I want to figure, figure out my place in all of this. God, help me to hear from you first and foremost. We're going to learn a little bit about this this morning in 1 Thessalonians. We've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and our theme is and continues to be living ready, because every chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians talks about the return of Jesus, and we want to be ready when he returns, because he is going to return one day. And in the midst of following him, loving him, responding to him, we're growing, and we're growing on a daily basis. And so one of the primary ways we grow is through responding to God's Word. We also grow in the community of God's people. We grow because the Spirit of God is working within us. But certainly, first and foremost, one of our high values at New Hope Church is God's Word. 1 Thessalonians, if you're not there, you can follow along. Your bulletin outline has fill in the blanks, both online and here on paper. And so use that, open up your Bible, follow along. Our primary verse this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to dive in from different angles, come back to this over and over again says there, we also thank God constantly for this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to this little church in Thessalonica. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. 
not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. So Paul says, we came and we shared with you the good news of Jesus, how to have life in him, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, that he rose from the dead and you responded to it and then you became a church just like if you know Jesus as your Savior, you've responded to him, and we come together as a church. And so, several different angles on this. The first thing is we notice that the Word of God is contrasted with the Word of men. The Word of God is contrasted with the ideas of people. Now, there's all sorts of people that claim to be the authority on various things. And so, one of the things that people do when they write books and they think that they are the authority on a subject is they call their book the cooking Bible or the beauty Bible. Or when we are on vacation last week, there was a book on the bookshelf, the beer Bible. That got my attention. Uh, so, and I read a little bit about, but I mean, this book was like 200 pages thick, and I didn't want to know that much about beer, so uh, didn't uh, keep reading it. But the point is that whenever someone wants to communicate that they are the authority, they use the word Bible. Now, we use the word Bible, and Greek would be biblios, and in, it also uses, the Bible also uses the word scripture or God's word, and so we'll be bouncing back and forth between these different terms, when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about 66 books from Genesis to Revelation that God has put together in his book 40 different people that wrote Scripture over the course of 1,500 years, various places where they lived, various occupations, Old Testament written in the language of Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, New Testament written in the language of Greek, and yet there's one theme, one truth that progresses in Scripture, God, His plan of salvation, His plan that He loves you and He desires to have you in relationship with Him, communicated from Genesis to Revelation. Now consider this, if we found 10 separate people in the city of Adel, and we ask each of them separately, write a short essay on the meaning of life. 10 different people just randomly picked out. Do you think they would agree, all 10 of those people? Probably not. And yet the Bible has multiple authors over multiple generations, and yet one common theme. It's a progressive revelation. That means that what God reveals is revealed historically, progressively. And it reveals one story, God's story. One mind, God's mind. One Savior, Jesus the greatest story ever told. And God invites us to be a part of his story. So when we use the word Bible, the word of God, scripture, 
this is what we're talking about. We're talking about God's authority, God's truth in the 66 books of the Bible. Now, as Americans, we've got 30, 40 different English translations of the Bible from those original languages of Hebrew and Greek. I mean, we are inundated with different translations. Personally, I like to use NIV and ESV, but there are dozens of translations, a few bad ones, but many, many different translations, and we're just blessed by that because there are languages, large-scale languages, millions of people that don't have Bibles in their language. So just consider that. Now, let's think a little bit about what the Word of God is not. Like I told you, we're going to drill in a little bit. First of all, the Word of God is not, I'll say, not just a self-help manual. Obviously, surely the Bible helps us. It does that. It has practical, helpful information on many topics. But my point is that ultimately... The Bible is communicated to us so that we can have a relationship with God, so we can enter into relationship with God, so we can become a part of God's family. And at our most difficult times, when we're just crying out and saying, God, things are so hard, so difficult, we don't need self-help at that point in time. We need God who loves us, who rescues us, who strengthens us, and this is what he does. And that's my point, is that when we come to the Bible, we want to ask, what does this say about God? What does it say about how I can respond to God? Secondly, Bible's not a magic eight ball. You ever seen a magic eight ball? Wikipedia tells me that the magic eight ball is a plastic sphere made to look like an eight ball that's used for fortune-telling or seeking advice. Invented in 1946 by Albert Carter, Bookman is currently manufactured by Mattel. The user asks and he asks no question to the ball, then turns it over to reveal an answer in a window on the ball. So I grew up small town, you know, just messing around, and we had a little eight ball. And, you know, just messing around. And so we would come up with a question, and I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, whatever. Does she like me? Maybe. (laughs) No. Oh. And then, you know, you try something else. And when we just open the Bible, read a verse, take it out of context, don't look at the whole message of what's being said. We're kind of using the Bible like a magic eight ball. And so I, I wouldn't recommend that, you're going to, that you do that. Third thing, the Bible's, again, not just an intriguing study manual. I like studying. And it's really important to study the Bible. And this point is probably for me, and for those who teach the Bible more than anyone. And the point is that we don't just stop at teaching the Bible. It's not enough just to know in our heads. 
The Bible is given, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, the Bible is given to us to apply, to be transformed and changed. So, really important to study it, but don't stop there. Fourth, Bible's on Instagram post. Jen Wilkins, I found a little quote that she wrote about this. She's a very excellent uh, Bible study author, primarily writes for women, but really good author, author that I would recommend to uh, both men and women and teenagers. She says, beware the Instagram Bible, my daughters, those filtered frames festooned with feathered verses, adorned in all manners of loops and tails, bedecked with blossoms, saturated with sunsets, cold and curated just for you. Beware lest it become for you your source of daily bread. It is telling a partial truth. And once again, it's good to have God's word. Good to be encouraged by God's word. But the point is that she is making is that God's word does not always make us feel good. Parts that make us feel bad. There's parts that are easy, parts that are harder to understand. And God gives us his whole word that we might understand it and respond to it and ask, what is God teaching here? And there are easier and harder truths, and they are all part of God's word. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 and 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 to drill in just a little bit deeper. All scriptures God breathed. Now it uses the word scripture, a word that's used 51 times in the Bible to refer to God's word. Sometimes it refers to the entire Old Testament, like when Jesus said in John 10, 35, he said, the scriptures cannot be broken. In other words, all of scripture is given. It's complete. It's here for you. And then after Jesus had preached in the synagogue, he'd preached from Isaiah, and then he said, today's scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he was referring to a particular scripture. The point being that this word is used of the word of God. And it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God breathed. Some versions have all scriptures inspired. But I don't quite like the word inspired as well as God breathed because the word God breathed is a literal translation of what is given here. The word inspired, people might say Shakespeare was inspired. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about literally that God has breathed out his word. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 describe this even more. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, it uses the word prophecy here, and we think of prophecy as something future, but again, this is a word that is used for God revealing his word, and it's telling us this process. The word uh, carried is a word that was used over in the book of Acts, chapter 27, to refer to the wind pushing a ship, and it's telling us that God breathes out his word. He carries along the authors of scripture like wind pushing a ship. And yet the sailor still has his hand on the rudder. In other words, God didn't just dictate the word of God. 
He didn't have human robots who just wrote down the word of God like that while they were controlled. No, they still had their personalities. Matthew is different from Mark, different from Luke, different from John, different from Paul. And, you know, sometimes critics of Scripture, critics of the Bible, this is kind of where they will criticize sometimes. Well, it's just written by people. It's written by people, but God, because he's God, also empowered, guided, he is the one who originated, produced scripture, and it's one of those things, just like Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, we can't ultimately completely explain it, so likewise, God breathes out his word, and yet he doesn't override the personality, the experiences, the thinking of people. Now, this is really important that we remember, that we focus, that we as a church... Like I was saying, I grew up in a small town, kind of like Adele. And back in the 70s, you know, there were changes going on in churches, as there has been for many years in American churches. And so back in 1900, this particular church that I grew up in was called Evangelical and Reform. Evangelical. We are, as a church, are called Evangelical Free, meaning evangelical means the good news, the good news of the gospel. And so this church back in 1900 that I grew up in followed God's word, tried to live out God's word as best they could. But by the time the 1970s arrived, we'd gone through the 60s in American society, and there'd been an infiltration of ideas that didn't correspond with biblical truth. And so the church that I grew up in, they would often have sermons on Sunday mornings, on the conflicts going on in American society, you know, 60s being a very turbulent time. And so these were the kinds of discussions, Vietnam War, all those kinds of things. So when I arrived off at college, I didn't have really a foundation in God's word, had responded to Jesus as my Savior, and ultimately came to know the Lord about the third year of college, came to trust in Him. Degree and uh, started working for the university and some things, and I won't go on a long story here, but sensed a call to preach, to teach God's Word, but I really struggled. really struggled with this because my model growing up had been just people talking about social kinds of things and people that sat in the church but never really responded to God's Word, didn't take God's Word seriously during the week, didn't apply it. It just wasn't relevant. So I went away to a conference, and at the conference came up on Isaiah chapter 55. And we won't go over there now, but I'll just summarize it. In Isaiah 55, God says that his word comes down and that it's like the snow and the rain, that it waters the earth, that 
the seed is planted and that he makes it grow. And that just brought me such comfort that God's word gets his work done. In your life, in lives of people that you share with and that we share with and those of you who are online and it's God's work. Our responsibility is to respond to what God is teaching us. Our responsibility is to share with others of God's word, but it's his work to make it grow. And that was just such an encouragement. Now before we go back to 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we're going to quickly dive into one more passage. John 17.17 17 describes God's word as truth. Your word is truth. Now, what's truth? I'm heading over to Liberia in about a week, and we're going to be teaching on apologetics, the defense of the faith. And so one of the things we're going to be talking about is what is truth, or what is true truth, and how do we find true truth? Well, truth is whatever accords with the facts, whatever accords and matches reality. It's the way things are, and a key aspect of scripture is that it is truth. It accurately describes reality. It accurately describes who God is. It accurately describes who we are. It accurately describes how life works. Now, whenever people tell me, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions. Bible's full of mistakes. And then if I ask them, well, what mistakes? What contradictions? And then they maybe pick up Google and find something that is an apparent mistake. Well, you know, people have been writing about these things for 2,000 years. Christian authors, Christian scholars have come up with answers. And so, yeah, you might find something that's difficult to explain. I, in fact, I got a book in my library. I don't know. At some point, I'll pass it along, but it's like a thousand pages thick on how to answer these kinds of Bible difficulties. And people have answers. There are answers. Now, a lot of times what happens is that people take Scripture out of context and don't really understand the context of what is being said. So, for example, when I was young just a new Christian, had a friend that I was trying to share Jesus with, and he challenged me, and apparently he knew his Bible better than I did, because he said, well, the Bible says what is truth. It does? And so I started to look up, is that in the Bible or not? And those days we didn't have electronic Bibles and that kind of thing, so I actually had to kind of search for it a little bit. And uh, over in John chapter 18, sure enough, that's the question. What is truth? What are we going to do with that? Man, just throw the whole thing out, right? Well, if you look at the context, in the preceding verse, Jesus is telling Pilate, everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate says, what is truth? 
the original postmodernist. Um, some of you got that. Uh, so, my, my friend was taking that question totally out of context. Again, my point being that when we talk about God's word, we have to understand it, understand it in the context in which it occurs by sentence, by paragraph, by chapter, by book, by New Testament, Old Testament, by the whole Bible. And then we apply it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, get back there, tells us that we are to receive the word of God and accept the word of God, that the Thessalonians, under great distress, first received the word of God, and this is a word that describes hearing it. That is, they gave the Apostle Paul a hearing. When he was talking about the gospel, they were listening, considering, and if you got a Bible... You have to use it. We all have Bibles. These days, we probably use our electronic Bibles more than we use paper Bibles. Not that hard. We can listen to it. We can read it. We can even watch it and act it. For myself, I like to be on a treadmill, either listening to God's Word or listening to a message sometimes exercising, sometimes in the car. There, there are hundreds of ways that we can hear God's word these days. So do it. I, gotta, I have to turn off the sports radio and listen to God's word. Then it says that they received or were changed by God's word and God gives us his word to be changed by it. And the wording here is that the Word of God's invited into our home, the home of our heart, to change us, to transform us. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 talks about, it says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern that comes from this world that's selfish and sinful and anti-God. There's a pattern that's trying to be imposed upon us every day. We have a noisy world that's shoving ideas at us all the time. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're supposed to change. We all know people who have been believers for a long time and hasn't been much change, hasn't been much transformation. God gives us his word so that we'll be changed, so that we become more loving, so that we become more holy, so that we become more righteous, so we become more compassionate. So we serve better. Are you? Are you in God's word? And is it changing you? Are you becoming more like Jesus in the way you act and interact? The way you communicate? The way you have compassion toward people? Verses 14 through 16, as we wrap up 
There's going to be pushback. When you follow Jesus, when you obey God's word, there's going to be pushback. You have to follow along in your Bible here. I didn't get this on the screen. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ, in Christ Jesus. They had good models. We all need good models. Pastor Ryan talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We all need to be good models and need to have good models. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So always fill up to the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Before we go on here, you know, some of this could be interpreted the wrong way as anti-Semitic, and that's not really the point, because we, in our sinfulness, are all opposed to Jesus in our sinfulness before we responded to Jesus. And the point is that our sins took Jesus to the cross. The believers in Thessalonica had faced persecution and suffering. You can go back to Acts chapter 17 and read about that. Severe suffering. Same suffering that Jesus had suffered. That's the point here. If you live by God's values, God's truth, you're going to have pushback. There's going to be opposition. The teaching, the values that we have in regard to morality, family, gender, marriage, business practices, and many other things that are important and aligned with the gospel are out of sorts with the world. And so there's going to be pushback. It's going to happen. Now, for the Thessalonians, it was severe and throughout history, there have been people that have been severely beaten and murdered and opposed because of the gospel. And I even know people these days who've experienced these things in places where I've been, where mobs have threatened pastors and leaders, where they've been thrown in jail, certainly yelled at, pressured, threatened. So it still goes on today. If you and I are proclaiming God's word and living God's truth, there's going to be pushback because it's not politically correct. And if it doesn't align with what other people are thinking and wanting to do, then they either feel guilty or awkward. That's part of it. So be ready for it. Finally, in verse 16, it says there is a day of judgment coming. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, God's not an angry God, not a vengeful God. In fact, God is patient to the uttermost, kind to the outer limit, merciful to the deepest degree. But as it says, people heap up their sins to the limit. One more story. Hopefully, it would be a good illustration. We had a horse barn when I was young, and one of our chores was to clean out the horse barn. 
on Saturdays, all the manure. Um, so we'd have a wheelbarrow, get it all filled up. Then we would uh, go out, and there was this hill of manure behind the barn. And so, 10, 12 years old, get on, drop the manure in there. Well, you do that for a few months, and the hill gets pretty high. And so there's one day that comes, it gets stuck. Dad, the manure pile needs to be hauled away. Somebody comes and hauls it away. And that's kind of God's position. God's very patient, but there comes room where he says, there's room for no more. And, and this is what it's talking about when it's talking about judgment, is there is a righteous response that ultimately comes, and that's hard for us to understand, hard for us to accept, but it is truth. Finish up with this. As followers of Jesus, we believe something radical, something that is in opposition to what the world holds and believes. We believe there is a God who has spoken. We know there is a God who is, has spoken. And it's our responsibility to ask, what do I do? How do I respond? You notice in verse 13 again, it says the word of God was at work in you. If God's word is at work in you, then when God calls us to forgive, we forgive. When God says, you got a grudge against that person, forgive, we forgive. When we're called to pray, instead of being anxious, we pray. When we're still anxious, we keep praying. The Bible is the ultimate truth because it is God's word, so listen to it, respond to it. Follow Jesus. Lord, help us. We recognize that we can just be inundated with so many things, and we want to be people who love you more, who follow you more. I thank you for all my friends who are here today, and help us to be like the Thessalonians who responded in the midst of pushback, and help us to be people who obey you and share Jesus with others. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tom. If you will stand and join us, we'll close our worship service with uh, one more song. It's a newer one. We sang great things once before, I believe, but uh, it's a great song. So let's close our worship service in song.